0: Amen. Well, today's a special day because we get to celebrate what God's doing through African New Life. And it's also a special day because after six years, we started this church September of 2011. After six years, I have finally convinced my wife to come out and share with you today. And so we're really excited about that. Maybe if you want to come on out. Ladies and gentlemen, Christina Rose Appleby Kendrick. Come on, you can do way better than that. That was not that good. Oh, sorry. God has uh, God's given my wife just a really powerful word to share today. And so I just want to encourage you, open up your heart. And uh, I really do believe that the Lord's going to speak to you in a powerful way this morning. So let's, uh, I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay? Yeah. Come on, stretch your hands out to her. Father, thank you for this woman of God. Thank you for the word you've put in her heart. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that rests upon her, Jesus Open up our hearts today to hear from you. In your name, amen.
1: Good morning, good morning. Well, Justin does not tell a lie. It has been six years that he has been asking and asking and asking, and I've been like, no, 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 again and again. But today, I am so thankful that I said yes, even though I've been scared, (laughs) because I am confident That as I share today what God has done in me, that there's a work he's going to do in your heart. That the grace of God is here. It's active this morning. That his power and his presence is here. So I'm just going to stay in my lane. I'm going to be myself. I'm not going to try and preach like Justin or Mike or anybody else that gets up here. I'm just going to share out of the overflow of what God has done in me. Is that cool with you guys? All right. All right. So, six incredible, incredible years we've been doing this thing called church. And I gotta tell you, I would not want to do anything different with my life. It has been an unbelievable journey. Hard times, really, really good times. But we are a lucky and blessed and fortunate people to be a part of this community. It blows my mind week after week. We cannot go anywhere without people recognizing, hey, do you, you guys go to City Church, right? Are you the pastor and the pastor's wife at City Church? I'm not kidding. We've gone like taken our kids to like get fluids at the ER or for stitches, and they're like, hey, I think you're my pastor. I think you're my pastor. We get free food at restaurants. Amen. People like send stuff out from the kitchen, and we're like, thank you, thank you. But what what an incredible blessing it is for us to be here and to be a part of this. There's pressure that comes with it like anything else in our lives, expectations that we put on ourselves, expectations from other people. Sometimes it feels a little bit like your life's under the microscope. Just the other day, I'm driving in Hamden, and I'm approaching a stop sign, and the cross street that's, that it's up against has a lot of traffic coming. So I'm like, if I stop and make a full stop and get stuck behind all this traffic, not going to be good. So I do like a, like a quick roll through the stop sign. Like Justin calls it a stoptional, like an optional stop and get out in front of the traffic that's coming. I make my way down, get to the light at the end of the road, and this truck pulls up next to me, and he's like, unroll your window, unroll your window. I am like, okay. So I unroll my window, and he's like, hey, do you go to City Church? And I'm like, I sure do. Yes, we're taking over. Like, this is awesome. And he's like, I just ate that stop sign back there. And I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry. Sorry about that. He's like, aren't you the pastor's wife? I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes I am I am and he's like oh well I go to city church you just ate that stop sign back there I'm like okay I'm really sorry so sir if you're here today I'm just doing my best to live under the pressure okay I'm, wor- I'm weighing it out I'm working it out every day no I am a good driver I promise I pay attention most of the time it's, it's all fine we all put pressure on ourselves don't we we know this in certain situations in certain aspects of our lives and David expresses his battle with this in Psalm 139. We're going to look today at how God gives David the grace to overcome pressures that we put on ourselves, how to find identity, how to find fullness in Christ. You guys ready to do that? All right, let's look at Psalm 139. We're going to start in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here in this place. Thank you that we have an opportunity right now to engage with you, to be a part of your movement this morning. So we stir up our faith right now. God, we believe that you're for us and not against us. That you have a specific thing that you want to do in each one of our hearts today. So Jesus, we say yes. We open our hearts. We open our ears. God, would you be honored in everything that we do today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So right here in the beginning of the psalm, it begins, David begins with his knowledge of God's love for him. Verse 6, he said, such knowledge is too high for me. It's so high, I cannot attain it. Like, it's way up there. David recognized that there was a a difference, a gap, if you will, in between his understanding of himself and God's understanding of him. And I know that we often, each one of us, I'm sure, experience and feel that gap in one way or another in our lives, right? where we see ourselves a certain way and feel that there's this disconnection or this separation between our our true self, this constant searching for our true self. Where do I fit? Where do I belong? Where is my identity? There's that gap that each one of us see and we know. This is very prevalent for me in middle school, the place where people go to die. You know, like, it's a rough season, right? I promise if you're here, it gets better, it gets worse, but then it does get better, so you'll make it. For me, I was not a popular kid. I was not a cool kid. I liked to read books, play my piano, and hang out with my mom and dad. That just was like my groove, and I worked with it. And for the most part, I was really fine with that. But like each one of us, and especially an eighth-grade little girl, I just wanted to belong. I just wanted to fit somewhere. I wanted to be noticed One day I come home from school, and I ask my mom, like, I want to get this haircut. Thinking, like, all right, this is going to work for me. Like, get a haircut. I have big hair, like, real big. Big glasses, big teeth, like, tiny little toothpick body. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to get it, like, a haircut. So my mom takes me to the salon. I show the lady a picture of what I want. She spins me around, and I'm like... (laughs) <laughs> like, what have I done? I was like devastated. Like I cut all my hair off and I, my sweet little 13 year old stuff. I just was like, this is not good for me. My mom is like, all right, we're going to make you feel better. Let's go shopping. We'll buy you an outfit. So I get the shirt that says, whatever these big wide leg jeans. And I'm feeling like, all right, like I can go to school tomorrow. I'm going to be okay. I walk in and people immediately start looking at me, which like nobody ever really looked at me or noticed me before that. And I'm like, all right, I'm standing a little taller than my five feet, like feeling pretty good. People are like, Oh, Chrissy, I love your hair. Oh, I love your shirt. I love your pants. I'm like, I'm going to have to wear this outfit every day. Like, people are noticing me. And something happened that day. I went from like the bottom of the social ladder to like up a couple rungs. And I felt pretty good. And we do that, don't we? In different areas of our lives, in one way or another, where we try and fill that gap. We try and make up for that gap in certain ways. Maybe for you, you don't know who you are without a glass of wine in your hand. Or you don't know who you are outside of your big job title. Or being somebody else's supervisor. Maybe you don't know who you are if you're not at home taking care of your kids. There's there's that gap, that separation. And so we fill it with all these temporary things. Like a haircut doesn't fix it. A year later, I'm in high school People are not calling me Chrissy Appleby. They're calling me Krusty Apple Tree. And I'm getting pushed into lockers by the seniors. And it just did not last. And thank you. Jesus High School is long gone from my life, right? No, but really, we, it's temporary, isn't it? That we do thing after thing and look to place after place to fill that identity and to find that thing that makes us feel like we fit. And I think David, it's as if David spent a lot of his life looking for it, trying to find his true self, trying to find where he belongs, he says in verses 1 and 2, Oh, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. David discovered something here. God, you've searched me. That word search there is like an investigation. Oh, do you have any CSI fans in the room? Anybody? All right, a couple, couple. You watch these detectives go into a crime scene, and they find every little detail, every fiber, every molecule, every, like, spatter pattern and all these things, right? Little details. That make up the bigger picture, and that's what God has done for you and I. He has searched through us and found it all, and knows all these little things that make up the bigger part of who we are. It says that He's known us, and that word "known" there is not like uh, like a cerebral knowing or an acquaintance or like my bud or like I know Justin Bieber. It's it's an intimate knowing. It's very very personal. It's the same word used in the text in Genesis 4 when it says that Adam knew Eve. She conceived and bore a son. Adam knew Eve, an intimate knowing. There is no greater word for intimacy than the one that's used right here in Psalm 139 where it says that you've known me. God knows us. That knowing where two become one, where no more is there my knowledge of myself and God's knowledge of me, but that gap is closed. The two become one. God does this incredible thing. It says he count, counts how many times I sit down. Why would somebody want to know how many times I sit down in my life? Why is that detail important? He knows how many steps it takes you to get from your cubicle at work to the bathroom. He's measured out by the ounce how many tears you've shed in the last six months. The dream in your heart that you've held on to that you've never told anybody. And you're just waiting for it to unfold. He knows it. All these crazy, tiny little details of our lives, he knows every single one. Who does that? Like, what is the point of knowing how many times I sit? Because God's a fan of me, and he's a fan of you. He just likes you. That's it. He likes you. If you know you're, you're a fan of something, and you make it a point to look for every little detail for every little thing, Right? You know how many uh, points per game your favorite athlete scores and what his favorite breakfast cereal is and his shoe size and all these things. When you're a fan of something, you know everything that you can ab- about it. You entrench yourself in it. This is what God has done with us. This is what he's done with you and I. Something really incredible about this. And, uh, right in the beginning, it says, you've searched and you've known me. Notice in here, it's past tense. It doesn't say that he's searching or that he's knowing. It's something he's already done for us. It's a completed work. God, you've searched me and you've known me. Before he formed the universe and the earth and before we were even formed in our mother's womb, he knew everything there was to know about us. A completed work. And I gotta tell you this morning that only God can answer the question of my identity. Only God can answer the question of who you are. He knows so much about us. I am one celebrated by God. You are somebody that God celebrates. I am one celebrated by God. Let that be a truth that's written on your heart this morning as we look into this text. That the celebration and the praise of other people, it's temporary. The things that we fill in and put in our hearts, these haircuts and outfits and job changes and relationship changes, these things that we try and fill, they're temporary. But how God celebrates you and me, that's not temporary. That's permanent. Look with me at Deuteronomy 7. We're going to start in verse 7. It says, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other nations. For you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. Simply that the Lord loves you. Not because you've done anything great or you've earned it. Just because he loves you. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. I'm loved by him just because I'm loved by him. That's the long and the short of it, the beginning and the end of it. He loves you and he loves me. And when I know that I'm celebrated by God, I don't need to thirst and hunger for the approval of somebody else. He's enough. I have to tell you, from my own heart and my own life, I lived so much, like so many of us do, looking for the approval of somebody else since I was a young kid all the way through my early adult years. And I had a great childhood. My parents were very affirming. But you know that familiar tug, don't you? The constant need to have somebody say, you did a good job, or you look pretty today, or I'm proud of you. Well done. When I know I'm celebrated by God, I don't need that from somebody else. And David, David really caught a hold of this. Let's look at verse 7. He says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. So right here in the beginning, David starts off and he says, look, darkness isn't dark when you're there. It's light. When I'm in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand is with me. In other words, when we are in a circumstance, no matter what it is, God's right there with us, right there in the very center of it, making what seems dark as bright as his face, as bright as his glory. That what's dark cannot be dark when God is in the midst of it. It doesn't mean that your circumstance, you just have to say, oh, well, God's with me, so it's good. Because that's not true. Sometimes our circumstances are really hard and painful and difficult. But he's with us. And his presence changes the atmosphere. It changes the environment. It changes our perspective. And how often do we realize, and I know this from my own life, this is not how we live. Is it? Sometimes we, we bring these requests to God, these long lists. And think that if our circumstances would change, that we'd be happier. If our circumstances would change or the situation would be a little bit different, or if we could have this instead of that, well, then I'd really be happy. Or then I would really feel like God loves me. That's not not the truth. That's not our reality. I remember when God started teaching me how to disconnect my happiness from my circumstance. When I was a little girl, I told my mom I wanted three things in my life. I want to get married, have babies. Travel and preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus. Three things. I was like eight years old. I'm like, Mom, this, this is my goal for my life. So I can, I'm literally living my dream. Thank you, Jesus. It's incredible. Not, no, you don't have to clap for that. <laughs> I was like, not, a, not an invitation. If are like, oh, here, give me your approval, right? Pat my back. We just talked about that. Um, no, so... Uh, I always wanted a little girl, specifically. That was a dream in my heart that I had. I have a beautiful mom, an incredible relationship with her. And I said, one day I'm going to have a little girl of my own, have this great relationship that I have with my mom. I get to do that for myself. So I meet Justin when we were 15. We dated for five and a half years, got married at 21. And we had spent the four previous years before we got married traveling uh, all over the world, playing music, sharing the gospel. So I'm like, check, okay. We get married at 21, I'm like, land the guy, second check. All right, now it's time to have the babies, right? So 2006, we get pregnant with our first kid, and we are over the moon, just so, so excited that, that God would gift us with a child. We decide uh, we're going to find out what we're having. So a few months go by, we're talking, what, what do you think it is, Oh, what do you think it is? We both were really like, we think this baby's a girl, like, we're, we're convinced it's a girl. So we go to the ultrasound she puts the wand on my belly and she's like, it's a boy. And we're like, alright. I look over at Justin. He's got tears streaming down his face. I mean, I can tell right, now, right there he's like, manhood. Like, yes. Carry on the Kendrick name. He's like feeling all kinds of brave heart in that moment. Like, he was like feeling really, really good about himself. And I'm, I'm pumped. I'm like, a son to start off like the Kendrick siblings. This is going to be great. So we had Gabriel in 2006. Fast forward two years, we get pregnant again. And... Couple months into the pregnancy we're like, well, What do you think? What do you think? And he's like Justin's like, Well, I really I think this baby's a girl, I'm like me too. I do too. So maybe, maybe this time. So we get to the ultrasound, she puts sound on my belly, she's like, It's a boy and we're like, Alright, this is great. As a brother for Gabe, they're gonna grow together as best friends, which at 9 and 11, it's not the truth right now, I'm just tell you that. Um, but they'll get there, right? So, I, you know, we're very excited to have another son that Gabe will have, uh, have a brother. So we have Noah in 2009. I left the ultrasound appointment that day a little bit like, all right, all right. Like, we're going to have more kids. It's okay. It's not a little girl. It's okay. This is going to be fine. It's okay. Two years later, I get pregnant again. And nine weeks into the pregnancy, I miss Carrie. And if you have walked that road yourself or if you know somebody that has, you know it's, it's a painful thing to walk through. It's a difficult experience. The Lord was so close to us, really healed our hearts and really nurtured us through that experience. This community was incredible, really surrounded us. That began a really dark season for me personally. I think a lot of it I didn't even realize was going on in my heart. So we go and see our doctor and he's like, you're healthy, get pregnant again. A month goes by, two months, six months, 12 months, 18 months go by. We're not getting pregnant. And month after month after month, I'm like, I'm devastated. And I'm like, Lord, like, why don't you see where we're at? Like, why can't you do this for us? Why isn't this happening? Wrestling with guilt because I have two healthy, amazing kids already. And I'm like, God, don't you see how we're suffering? Don't you see what's going on? Six more months go by, now it's been two years. We go and see our doctor, and he's like, you're both healthy. The term secondary infertility is being thrown around. And we're just discouraged, and we're hurting. And we get a phone call from a friend who has known us for a long time, really supported and carried us in ministry for years. And He's like, hey, I was praying for you guys, and I really felt that the Lord spoke to my heart and said that you're going to get pregnant and that you're going to have a little girl. And we're like, Wow. Like this is somebody we really trust. He does not throw around stuff like this lightly. Had no idea of our journey the last 2 years, what we've been walking through, no idea that I had really hopes of had hopes of having a daughter. 2 weeks later we find out that I'm pregnant. And we're just like blown away, like God spoke and it happened. Like this is incredible. So over the next few months, we're, we're talking to each other. Well, What do you think? Well, what do you think? And he's, We're both like, I mean, God spoke. Then I was pregnant, so this baby must be a girl. Like, this is what's happening. Of course, we're like, it's okay if it's not. It's all right. So we get to the ultrasound. We have Gabe and Noah with us. They're so excited to see their baby. She goes and puts the wand on my belly. She doesn't have to say anything because I've done this twice before. I can see on the screen. It's a boy. And Gabe and Noah are all excited. They're jumping up and down. Justin squeezing my hand, and I'm laying there with just tears streaming down my face. And I left that day thankful that I had a healthy little boy growing inside of me. Don't get me wrong. I was celebrating what God had done. But I began to question, like, God, don't, don't you care about what I want? Don't you care about the specific things that are in my heart? A couple of days later, Justin was out with the boys, and I'm at home making soup. So I'm just standing over the stove, and literally, I start having it out with God, like over soup. And I'm just stirring and, like, stirring and stirring, and I'm crying. And I'm like, God, don't you you see where I'm at? Don't you see how I'm hurting? Feeling guilty and feeling ashamed that I was even wrestling with that, because here I have two healthy, beautiful sons. God has given us a third, and I'm asking him why he doesn't care about what I want. That's where I was at. I was just hurting and I'm just weeping and I find myself I'm on my knees on my kitchen floor my big belly and I'm just like crying before the Lord and I'm like God don't you care why don't you care and God spoke to my heart so clear in that moment it was as if I could hear my own voice right now it was that clear to my heart he said Chrissy I see what you want but I know what you need I see what you want, but I know what you need. And in that moment, something shifted in me. Something started to crack open. A couple of days later, I'm sitting in my bed, having my time with the Lord, just reading and praying. And I hear that same familiar whisper in my heart again, you need to name your son. And I'm like, hey, you got any suggestions? And then I feel the Lord whisper in my heart again, Ezra. I'm like, okay, the name Ezra. It's in the Bible. I, got, I know that. So I look it up. The name Ezra means the Lord helps. And I felt God speak to my heart in that moment. <laughs> again, there's a lot of conversation happening right now. The Lord helps. And I knew. And the Lord said to me, this child is going to bring healing to your heart. And I have never experienced such redemption from a season, such incredible grace, such incredible healing as I have the last four years of that little boy's life. And every day I look at my three sons and I am unbelievably grateful that God did not give me what I want, what I wanted, but he gave me exactly what I needed. I see in their faces the perfect love of God that is so tailored just for me. It's, in, it's incredible. He brought healing to this misconception that God didn't love me. We walk through our lives so often with those types of misconceptions, right? That God doesn't love us because of what we're walking through. And maybe you're here today and you felt that. You're listening to my story and you're thinking one of two things. One, how could she have thought that? Two, you think, I felt the same way. That each one of us, we wrestle in our own ways looking at our circumstances, looking at the things in our life that we walk through and we think, God doesn't love me and he doesn't care. But here's the thing. I don't really know my deepest need. I don't. You don't really know your deepest need. We certainly think that we do. And that's why we ask for all these like specific, tangible things. But the thing is, my deepest need is him. My deepest need is Jesus. And we go and we ask for the, all the wrong things, these long lists. The things that we're asking for aren't wrong, but what we're looking for them in, what we are looking for inside of them is these tangible things like, God, if, if I could just be healthy, then I would be happy. If you could just bring my spouse, then I would be happy. If you could love me in a way that I could materialize and hold on to, then I'd be okay. But that's not how his love works. Jeremiah 31 says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. A love that's perpetual. A love that goes on and on and on. A love that's outside of time, that's always been, that always will be. That's how he loves us. And it's that love, that incredible love that his presence carries, that transforms every situation, that transforms every circumstance. That no matter what you're walking through, you can stand right in the middle of it and say, he's good. In verse 9, David is saying, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will hold me. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, okay, all right, I can track with you. I follow you. Except this like one spot. This one thing that's just been really hard or that hurts really deep. I don't know about that. And God would say to you this morning, even there. I'm with you even there. I'm with you even there. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says suffering means being cut off from God. Therefore, those who live in communion with him cannot really suffer. Those who live in communion with him cannot suffer. When we're with him, we walk through hard stuff, yes. We walk through things that are painful, yes. But suffering... He's my deepest need. He's the thing that brings what I need. If you're taking notes, write this down this morning. Joy is found when I discover that God is enough. Joy is found when I discover that God is enough. I don't need to look to anything else or wish that things were different. He's enough. Have you discovered this today? And maybe you're here and you're listening to me and you're like, yeah, this sounds great. Like, I want that. But how? How does this happen? How do I get there? We see David really wrestle with this in the text. In verse 19, he's, he's saying, God, would you make all the wrong things right again? He's living inside of this tension where he's asking God for, for justice. He's asking God to change a situation, just change a circumstance. He's wrestling, living in that tension that you and I live in. But then he ends with this request. Look at verse 23 with me. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous sway in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Hold on. David just went this whole psalm saying, you searched me and you've known me. You know how many times I sit down. You're with me everywhere I go. And then he ends asking God, search me, know me. It feels like a little bit of a contradiction, right? It's not David knew something that I think each one of us know and are familiar with. He knew in his head that God was enough. He knew that God loved him, but he did not have that revelation that he was celebrated by God. He knew that he was celebrated. I just said that. Sorry. (laughs) But it wasn't the core of his identity, right? He was looking for approval. He was looking for that constant thing to fill. And so our question this morning is how do we fill that gap? How do we fill that gap? How do we go from here to here to God's understanding of us? How do we walk in the midst of these dark things and believe that God's enough, believe that he's with us, believe that he's there transforming the situation? Verse 23 gives us this answer. Search me, O God, and know me. Try me. We have to ask him. We have to ask him. We have to say, God, here, come, take a look. Show me if there's anything in there that grieves you so that I might follow in the way everlasting. If you write down one thing this morning, this is it. My humble invitation activates God's power. My humble invitation activates God's power. When I invite God to search me, to know me, to reorder my affections, to rearrange the loves in my heart, it releases power for my identity to be built on him. Our humble invitation, that's what he's asking for this morning. That's what he's looking for. Is this not the essence of the gospel? That Jesus came, he lived this perfect life. He dies on a cross, rises again. But it's not enough for us to just mentally acknowledge it. We have to personally receive him. John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, who believed his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who received him. This is the way that God works in our lives. We have to ask him. We have to invite him in. We must receive him. This is how we walk in that everlasting way. Where David says, search me, O God. Try me, know my thoughts. Show me, look around, and lead me in the way everlasting. The way everlasting where the joy that we experience isn't temporal or shifting. It's not evading us. The joy that we experience becomes joy that's eternal. Where this longing for identity isn't something that we feel like there's this turnover anymore, but we're pushed into an eternal place of right standing and belonging with him. That our identity and our circumstance and our joy and all of these things take on an eternal perspective because he's eternal. Because he doesn't change. Because he's always good. So I want to know what do you need to invite God into today? Maybe you're here and you've you've heard my story, and and there's parts where you're like, that's me. I want to tell you this morning that this is your moment. This is your kitchen floor moment where you're crying over soup and you say, All right, God, what is it? Have it out. Invite Him in because there's breakthrough for you today. There's hope for you today where you feel like you've been stuck for so long. Today. Maybe you're hunting for identity and your cry and your prayer this morning is God, would you help me fill that gap? Would you give me the revelation that I'm celebrated by you? Or maybe for you, you're wrestling and walking through a difficult circumstance and you feel like you've been alone. You feel like God hasn't seen you or that he's not with you. Invite him in, and today he brings you into that place of eternal joy that no matter what you're walking through, you know that he's good, and you feel his hand carrying you even there. Invite him in today. Would you stand with me? I have never, ever been more sure in my life, and I say this humbly, please know that, I've never in my life been more sure of the perfect love of God for me. And I've not done anything special. I've done the only thing I can, and that's say yes to him. Would you say yes to him this morning? Would you say yes to hearing his words of promise and truth and identity over you? Would you say yes to a shift in your perspective to look at what you're walking through and say, okay, God, even there, I believe that you're with me. Would you invite him in this morning? We're going to sing in just a minute. Take some time in worship. This is your time to set your thoughts and your heart on Jesus to begin to process something that you've heard this morning that your heart grabbed onto. Would you lift your hands with me? We're going to pray. And as a family, invite him in. Search us, oh God, know our hearts. Try us, show us if there's anything in us that grieves you and lead us in the way everlasting. That's our cry this morning, Father. We cannot go anywhere that your spirit does not carry us. So we invite you in this morning, Jesus. We say yes. Would you be glorified in this moment? Would you heal and restore the places in our hearts that are broken and that are hurting and that have felt far from you, would you draw us close to you this morning? We love you, Jesus. We honor you and we worship
0: you. Amen.